0: Um, so you all, take it away. The second week of Advent is the week of peace. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to be the prince of peace. The word peace, the Hebrew word shalom, which means completeness or wellness or well-being. Jesus did not come to just end wars, but to complete us by saving us from our sinness, sinfulness and brokenness. John 1, 1 through 1-5 says, In the beginning, The Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, like they said, we celebrate, we're reminded of the peace that you bring. Uh, Peace that isn't necessarily absence of conflict, Uh, it isn't the absence of of chaos around us, but it is completeness within us, even in the midst of chaos and conflict. Uh, Lord, we, we remember, Jesus, when you spoke into the storm, and the storm went silent. Uh, it's the same thing in our lives, Jesus. You speak into the deepest parts of our lives where uh, anxiety wants to grab a hold, Lord, where fear wants to grab a hold, where doubt wants to grab a hold, and you bring peace. You remind us that you make us whole. And so, Jesus, today, as we dive into your word, may we live in that. May we kind of lean into uh, what it means to, to be made whole and made complete by you and you alone. Nothing else does in our lives what you do. Uh, nothing else can make us complete and fill that space, that ache of longing in our lives. Nothing else does that uh, like you. So, Jesus, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Uh, it's your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. All right. So, last week we kicked off uh, our Advent series, Jesus Christ Superstore. Uh, and if you missed last week, let me just take a minute and just kind of catch everybody up on what this is all about. So, something we said last week is what makes superstores super, like what separates a superstore from just a, a regular, plain old store, comes down to the amount of choices and options that they provide for us. Uh, this, this week, earlier, uh, I read about a study that was done in 2021 uh, that resulted in the creation of, of two new. Like conditions that we experience uh, and face, and, and one are kind of related. One is kind of related to the other. Uh, so the first one in this study, the thing that they determined that we experience is this thing called choice overload, or like they some people would call it o- overchoice, or like the technical term is choice overload bias. And so the article that I read said this: In recent years, economists and marketers alike believed that by offering more options. Customers would be more satisfied with their purchases. They, they made this assumption based on the rationale that everyone is different, so they all must want their products their own way, right? So here we are in the midst of this thing. Now we experience something called choice overload, right? We've never had more choices, there have never been more choices or more options readily available to you and I ever before in history, right? We have more options and more choices to choose from in our daily lives. It's never been more than it is right now. And we have the power, right? We have the power to get whatever we like, however we like it, and really whenever we want it. And so last week I gave some examples. So here, here are some examples. There's, there's one jelly or jam company currently that offers 26 types of grape jelly, just like I'm not talking about 26 types of jelly, 26 kinds of grape jelly. 26. Sugar-free, like with sugar, some that come from California, some that come from other places. Like you can get like exotic tropical grape jelly if you want to do that, right? There there are two main toothpaste companies uh, in the United States, right? Crest and Colgate. Where are my crest people at? Yeah? Where are my Colgate people at? So all right, so you all can kind of you can fight afterwards, right? Um, <laughs> So two main toothpaste companies in the United States, they each make around 1,000 different types of toothpaste. Which means there are 2,000 different options to choose from when it comes to the kind of toothpaste that you use. Now, the last example, which is probably the most significant example, have you ever, maybe you've taken your family, like, you know, middle class fancy, night out on the town. You go to Cheesecake Factory right how many of us have been to cheesecake factory yeah so you know if you've ever been handed a menu from the cheesecake factory like it it weighs 12 pounds right and this is just me so earlier this week i just pulled up the menu for the cheesecake factory online and just started to scroll through it it took a minute and 19 seconds to scroll through the cheesecake factory menu and you'll notice there're like certain points when it gets to the bottom of a category there'll be like a little like maroon box that says there're also 27 more lunch options than what you just saw right the, again the, so i the, there's like blog posts and and articles that have been written about this legendary thing that is the cheesecake factory menu there are over 250 different items to choose from. Again, if you've been to a cheesecake factory, their menu is spiral bound, right? It's not just fold in the middle. It's not like a trifold, you know, like what we're used to. It's spiral bound. There are hundreds of pages, right? Not quite that, but it weighs close to 15 pounds. And the, the menu that you get still going, the menu that they hand you at the restaurant, right, that's just food, If you want a cheesecake menu, it's separate, and it's like 10 pages long, right? Like, they're separate menus. So over 250 items takes a minute and 19 seconds to scroll through their menu online. It's crazy. We've never had more options. We've never had more choices. And so that's what choice overload looks like. It's overwhelming. We get bombarded by choice and options like never before. And that leads to kind of the second thing that this article talked about. So we experience choice overload, which leads to something that is called decision fatigue. And again, according to this this article, the study that was done, decision fatigue is, is a state of mental overload caused by too many options that can impede a person's ability to continue making decisions. Now, what the researchers discovered is this. When you and I are bombarded by choices and we're overwhelmed by endless options and choices, the critical decision-making parts of our brain literally shut down, right? Which is how I ended up in the fetal position in the Kroger a couple weeks ago, right? Going down the bread aisle. I'm just like, it's too much, right? It's too much. And it is. It's like the parts of our brain that help us make choices, they look at 2,000 different types of toothpaste and go, you're on your own, right? Like, it's up to you. Do what you want to do, right? We're out, and again, the, the result that these, these researchers discovered is in the face of so many choices, there is an anxiety and panic-induced paralysis that occurs in the face of overwhelming choice and option. See, it used to be that you and I would deal with like the, the old phrase paralysis by analysis when it came to some of the major decisions that we would make in life. Like when you were trying to figure out if you're gonna to go to college, and if you're gonna to go to college, where would you go to college? When you're trying to decide, you know, where you're gonna live. Are you gonna rent an apartment? Are you gonna buy a house? Like, what, what city do you wanna live in? What job do you wanna take? When to get married, when to start a family. Those were the kinds of things that you would really sit down and think, like, am I gonna weigh my options here? And a lot of times maybe you, you would get stuck and you know, I'm not sure what to do. Paralysis by analysis. But now. Paralysis by analysis happens when we try to buy ketchup and toothpaste and jelly, right? And so on one hand, we have this demand, right? We have this on-demand life. Like we, we want to, we crave the power of choice and option. I want to tailor-make my life for me, right? That's kind of the rally cry of our culture and society is you do you, as many options and choices are out there, you figure out what works for you. Not just in the grocery store, but the way you live your life. You do you. Take the power. Use the power of choice and option. So on one hand, we want that. We want that power. We want that ability to kind of choose for ourselves, to kind of tailor make and craft life to look like what we want it to look like. And it not we don't care if it, lo- it doesn't look like anybody else's, because we can just do us. So we have that power on one hand, but on the other hand, what we're learning is that kind of Power, that kind of choice and option actually cripples us. It impedes our ability to make decisions, and so we just lock up. And like I said last week, the problem for many of us is that we kind of take the same expectation. We take that same demand, that same entitlement, right, of personal choices and options that we want, that we seek and we desire in our everyday lives, and we apply that to Jesus, Right, who Jesus is. We apply that to Jesus. We apply that to our faith. Our faith is what we believe in. Right, faith is, is, what we, is who or what we believe will ultimately take care of us in life. It's who we trust, who we count on, who we can rely on, who we have confidence in. So we kind of craft this Jesus that we want to look like our lives, right? And then we have faith, we count on, we trust that that Jesus is going to take care of us. And then it also affects our, our faithfulness. You know, the faithfulness is is really how we live our lives. Faithfulness is what we build our lives on. So, like, we need Jesus with some customizable options. You know, it's like we sing these songs about Jesus, and it's like, you know what? We want Jesus. We're all into Jesus. We like Jesus. But I need my Jesus to come with some customizable options and some variety. We want to believe in this version of Jesus that's tailored to us, that fits what we want in life and how we want to live our lives. For some of us, it kind of sounds like this. Like, I need Jesus to to, to kind of be cool with or at least agree with what I'm after and what I want. Like, I need Jesus to to get behind the the things that I want. I need Jesus to agree with or at least tolerate the things that I want in my life. And not just that, I also need Jesus to be cool with how I go after it. Like, I need Jesus to agree with, to give me permission to, to chase after the things the way that I want to do that. I mean, for some of us, that sounds, a lot from, that sounds familiar. That's kind of what Jesus and faith and faithfulness look like for us. And what we do is this. We shop around and we comb through all the available options and combinations until we find a version of Jesus that's tailored to our own personal taste. And I know I'm not throwing stones here, but I know like when, when some of us the, the, in, the, in the last few years, we've had the opportunity or maybe we experienced church hurt or we were disappointed at church or, or our church just ceased to exist or something happened during COVID and, and we, we didn't come back. And so the, the phrase that I'll hear, and again, I'm not throwing stones a lot of times, is this, well, we're just church shopping. Like, that's real. I've said that before. We're just kind of church shopping. We're looking for, you know, the, the kind of place that we feel like fits us, the kind of place we feel like we can fit in a community of people that believe in Jesus and and, and a place that talks about the kind of Jesus that we want to trust and follow. We're just shopping around. That's the phrase that we use. For a lot of us, we approach our faith and our faithfulness like it's a spiritual food court. I want my options. I want to be able to have, like, the the fried rice of Manchu wok and the giant New York pizza slice of whatever that is, right? I I want that. Like, I need that food court deal. I want to be able to kind of craft this the way I want. And something I said last week, and I get that it may be offensive, is that's idolatry. That's what that's called. You're making an idol. You're building something for yourself and, and, and worshiping it. And here's the truth, right? And this is a hard truth. When that's kind of how we approach Jesus, our faith and faithfulness, when that's how we approach church, here's the truth. We're not trying to worship an image of God. We're actually worshiping an image of ourselves, and we're just slapping God's name on it. You're not trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to get Jesus to follow you. It's like you're trying to convince Jesus, hey, listen, like I know you got a lot of really good ideas, but if you heard mine, like get get a load of this, Jesus. Why don't you get on board with this? So for some of us, that's the reality, and what we haven't realized is what we're dipping into is idolatry, and the Bible has a lot to say about idolatry. For others of us, we've reached our limit of decision fatigue when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to church, when it comes to faith and faithfulness, and I said it last week, and I know it it resonated with a lot of us because I talked with some folks throughout the week, so I'm going to say it again. For some of us in the room, at some point in our lives, we were sold this kind of cheap knockoff version of Jesus that looked like the real thing on the surface. We, we were sold this kind of cheap knockoff version of faith and faithfulness that we were told would, would really change our lives. It could change our lives. And we bought into a community that promised us to, that they would be there for us through thick and thin, but then life happened and things didn't turn out like we expected. And in the end, when the dust settles, that version of Jesus that we were sold wasn't big enough and wasn't strong enough to handle our mess because it wasn't really Jesus. The people that claimed to follow Jesus, that said they would always be there for us, they abandoned us, or they gossiped about us. The church community turned out to be entirely conditional. This place that said, come as you are, right, turned out to be anything but that. And now we don't meet the conditions. We don't meet the criteria to belong there, so we're not welcome. And So for us, we don't even go down the Jesus aisle because we did that once. And it got us hurt. We're not interested in trying to to make another Jesus choice again. And the thought of maybe even starting that whole process over is overwhelming. It seems better to just kind of shut it all down. To not even make a Jesus decision anymore. I chose wrong before. What happens if I do that again? And for some of us, that sounds familiar. Now, here's the deal. Before we dive in today, I I just want to, again, like last week, put all my cards out on the table and kind of reiterate the the goal of this series and really the goal for everything we do at Adventure. Like everything we do, from small groups to student ministry to worship on Sundays to to mission trips and all all those kinds of things, outreach events, the goal is this. It's for everybody that walks through our doors to come to a place where they can get in the same room with the real Jesus, Right, we talk about this, like it's not our job to change anybody. It's not our job to twist people's arm and hope that they believe what we believe. Our job is to get them and Jesus together and let Jesus and the Holy Spirit take it from there. Right, that's what we do. And so here's the, here's the truth. Right, whether you have been worshiping your own handcrafted idol that you've put Jesus' name on, or you aren't really sure you can go through all that it takes to trust Jesus or his church again, you're welcome here. This is a place where you can work through that. This is a place where it's okay to ask questions. This is a place where it's okay to seek. This is a place where it's okay to investigate Jesus. This is a place where it's okay to investigate his church. No one's gonna get mad at you if you ask questions. No one's gonna get mad at you if you say, listen, I got some doubt in my life. Join the club, right? That's what we're all about. But what I can tell you is this, we're gonna get to know the real Jesus in this place and that means for some of us, over the next few weeks, we're going to need to think about taking the advantage of the opportunity that Jesus offers us to make an exchange, to, to kind of hand over the Jesus that we've made for ourselves, this idol of Jesus that really is, is made in our own image. We've just slapped his name on it. We've got to think about, do I want to take the opportunity to to, to, to to turn that in, to hand that over, to make that exchange so I can have the real thing? And I'll be honest with you, that's not easy. I mean, I had to make that same choice. We've all had to make, a lot of us in this place have had to make that choice before. Am I willing to take, am I ready to take this idol of Jesus that I've made, that really, it's not so much about me getting on board with Jesus, it's about Jesus getting on board with me. I don't really want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to follow me. Are you ready to hand that in for the real thing? It's not easy to do that. But the real Jesus isn't looking to be an added piece of your life. Jesus wants to be the Savior and King of your life. And for others, right, it's going to mean that we're going to have to take another step of faith. We're going to have to trust that the real Jesus and his church won't run from us, won't hide from us, won't bail on us. And the reality is this. Jesus is not shocked or surprised by the mess in our lives. He's just not. He doesn't run from that. He's not scared of that he steps into it. So, no bait and switch, right over the course of the next few weeks, like we do have an agenda, right? And I just want to be upfront with this. There's a point and purpose to what we do, and that's it. We just want to get together with the real Jesus and let him go to work in on and through our lives. So, if you got your Bibles or your Bible apps in front of you, grab those. We're going to be back in John chapter 1. So, that's where we're living for the next month right for the next couple of weeks is we're going to be in John chapter 1 so if you need a Bible we have free Bibles in the back you can take those with you we want you to have a Bible at home uh, so grab your Bibles or Bible apps John chapter 1 uh, says this read a little bit of this last week it says, says this John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right. So that's what we talked about last week, these first few verses in this biography of Jesus, written by a guy named John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends. Right. And so what those, what those first few verses mean and what they point to, what John wants us to know is that Jesus has an eternal nature and a divine identity. That Jesus existed outside of time, right? He's eternal. Jesus is not subject to the laws of time like we are, right? Like we age, get old, right? Jesus is eternal, right? He's existed from the beginning, outside of time. But also his identity is divine. What we learned last week is that Jesus isn't just like God, but he is God. Jesus was not the backup plan. Right? We talked about this uh, last Sunday, that for some of us when we read the Bible or we think the way this whole narrative worked was like God created everything and then Adam and Eve screwed up and sinned. And then God had to call in Jesus as the backup plan to come in and kind of die for all of humanity. And we've just been left with the bill, right? Like we get, left with, we get stuck with the check of like, hey, listen, you've got to pay off and work off all the debt that it took for God to clean up your mess. But that's not what we see. Jesus was not the backup plan. Jesus was the plan from the get-go. Jesus knew that he would have to lay his life down and save us before he even made us. And that's a big deal, the fact that he knew that, and still he did it anyway. He still went through the, the, the whole process of creating us, speaking us into existence, knowing that what that would cost him would be his life. It would cost him pain and suffering and death. And where we're going to pick up is is after that. We're going to look at these few verses this week. John goes on and says, In him, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men, mankind, right? That's all humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're going to unpack those verses today. So we're going to dig in, right? See, John tells us right off the bat that Jesus was life. He was the life. And he was the light of, of man, of all mankind. And we read that, you know, some of us maybe grew, grew up in church and, and, and somebody reads these verses around Christmas time and we're like, well, that sounds nice. Like, that sounds really positive, right? Like, that sounds positive. Like, Jesus was light and he was life. That sounds nice. But, but what does that even mean? Like, what is John really getting at when he introduces Jesus as the life and the light to all of humanity? See, I think for us, On one hand, when we think about life and the presence or the absence of life in someone else, right? If they have life, if life is present, then they're alive. If they don't have life, if life is absent, then they're not alive, right? They're dead. That's kind of how we think about it. It's like you either you either have life and therefore are alive, or you do not have life and therefore are dead, right? That's on one hand. That's kind of how we think about it. It's very literal, very black and white. On the other hand. Life becomes kind of a metaphor, becomes kind of a label, right? When we talk about it or we think about life, we think about our lives or the lives of others, right? Life becomes this label or this metaphor that refers to quality. It refers to kind of the quality of how we live. You know, we look at people and maybe we're envious of the life that they have. We say, I want that life. I want that kind of life. I wish I had that life. Or maybe we look at friends or family, or maybe what we would say if someone asked us to describe our own lives, we would say, man, it's been a rough life. I've had a rough go. And that's kind of pretty much our understanding of life and how it works. Life for us is both the presence or the absence of life. You're either alive or you're dead, right? And life kind of refers to the quality of your life. It's either good or it's bad. That's kind of our understanding of what life is. And like I said last week, as we read and unpack Scripture together, we have to try sometimes to read it through the same lens of the people that it was written to. You got to try to jump into their lives and and read it and understand it from the point and perspective of the people that it was originally written to. It's a fancy word called contextualization. Contextualization. Right? You're trying to get into the context and understand how the people who were sitting and reading this letter or hearing John speak this letter or share this letter, this biography of Jesus, you're asking yourself, how would someone in the first century read Jesus's or John's biography of Jesus, right? How would they read this? What would it mean to them? What was John really trying to say? What does John really mean when he says, "In Jesus was life? Like from our understanding, was he just trying to say that Jesus was alive? Was life present? Like, is, was Jesus, like, John is just trying to make sure that we understood that Jesus is a living person, or is there more to what he's saying than that? Just a hint, there's more, right? So, so if you've got your Bibles in front of you or, or your Bible app, you want to circle, highlight, underline this word life. And this word life is the Greek word zoe, right? Zoe Vaughn and I were talking this morning. It's like Zoe Vaughn, Zoe Gatewood. It's like if you say their names with just a little bit of sass. Hey, Zoe. Like, it's that, Right? So the Greek word for life is this Greek word, zoe. And like us now, right, kind of the way we understand life is through two different kind of lenses. One is pretty black and white, pretty concrete. The other one is kind of a label or a metaphor. The word for life back in Jesus' day, this Greek word also had a double meaning. But, but unlike us, this double meaning of this word, this, this word for life, zoe, doesn't just refer to the absence or presence of life. This word for life doesn't just... Point to or try to label like whether your life was good or bad. It doesn't just talk about the quality of life. It's not really black and white or concrete, nor is it just kind of a label or a metaphor. The first meaning, right? Two meanings of this word for life means this: made up of the absolute ethical and essential fullness of God, which belongs to and comes from God alone. That's what that Greek word means, right? The word zoe, life, it means you are made up of the absolute, ethical, and essential fullness of life. Like we talk about this week in Advent, in the Advent calendar, traditionally, this is the week of peace. And the word peace refers to completeness, like Jack said. It's not absence of conflict, it's fullness, it's wholeness, it's the fullness of life, which belongs to and comes from God alone. So, Last week, what we did was we read just three verses, right, in in this first chapter of John. And and we learned, right, everything about Jesus' eternal nature and divine identity. This week, and really just one or two verses, John is going to tell us what Jesus is made of. So, like, you know kind of now where Jesus comes from. Like, Jesus existed before the creation of everything. He existed out of time. He's eternal. He's always been around, not the backup plan. We learned who Jesus is, his divine identity, right? That he isn't just like God, he is God. And so in, this, in these verses this week, according to John, what he's saying is Jesus' zoe life, a different kind of life, is both the substance of Jesus' being, which is who Jesus was, and also how Jesus' being played out in his doing, which is how he lived, so like John last week kind of was pointing to these like big grand cosmic things, and this week he's going to get down into like, what was Jesus like? what was Jesus all about? Like, how did he live? what What made up who he was? And, and that's really what this first meaning of Zoe life points to. It's what it's about. It's not just about the presence or absence of life, whether something is living or not. It's not just about the quality of life, whether it's good or bad. Zoe life points to the, eb- the essence and substance of being. Like what makes us who we are? Like we are human beings. Like what makes us who we are? What's the substance that makes us up? And it also refers to the ethics and the action, right? So it's about what life is truly made up of and how that plays out in what we do, right? We're not just human beings, we're human doings. And I love this, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. It says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. Which means this, the essence of Jesus, like Jesus' being, what he's made up of is the glory of God. Like that's the essence of Jesus, he is the glory of God with skin on, right? That's what he looks like. And then it goes on, it says, and Jesus is also the exact imprint of God's nature, which is God's ethics. And if you don't, like God has ethics. Like God has things that he says are right or, and wrong. God has things he says, this is the way you're supposed to live, this is the way you're not supposed to live. God has ways that he handles situations. This is the way to do this, this is not the way to do this. So it's the essence and the ethics, right? And, and that really refers to his character, right? His integrity. Jesus is doing, this is how he lives. So his essence is the glory of God and his ethics, the way Jesus does things is rooted in the perfect and flawless character of God. And then I love the author of Hebrews says, and Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, that's what happens when you have Eternal nature, divine identity, when the essence of what makes you up is rooted in things that are spiritual and the ethics that make you up, the way that you live, ultimately are tied in with the character and identity of God. So when John says that Jesus was life, he's not talking about a normal or average life. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the presence or absence of life. The way we could kind of translate this verse, the way that people back in John's day would have read this, would sound kind of like this. In Jesus was the Zoe life, which is a life unlike any other. And Jesus' being was made up of the unique essence of God's radiant glory. And Jesus' doing, everything that he did, was lived out in the unique ethics of God's character. That's just one verse. That's how they would have read that. That's how, when this this biography of Jesus was read to them, or they read this, this is what they would have, heard. This is what they would have understood. And I get it. You might be thinking, well, that's cool, but like, why does Jesus's ethics, like his being or his essence and his being and his ethics and his doing, like, why does that matter? Like, why does Jesus's substance and character matter to us? I read an author this week that said that God made the human heart in such a way that it will never be eternally content with that which is only human. Finite things will never, never, satisfy our thirst for the infinite things that that are temporary even though they might bring us some temporary joy even though they might bring us some temporary satisfaction eventually they're going to wear out and what we cuz what we're looking for what we hunger for what there's this longing for is something that is infinite in ecclesiastes 3 the bible tells us that god set eternity in the hearts of mankind in other words what this means why this matters is What we find in Jesus' substance and character, we find everything that we're looking for and longing for. Everything. Everything that we're aching for, everything that we're longing for, you find satisfaction in Jesus' substance and his character. The same author that I read went on to say this, that, that the concept of a God who never became a man can't ever really satisfy the longing that lives in the depths of the human soul like the God who did. And there's a part of your soul right now that knows that's true. And I know that because there's a part of my soul that knows that's true. In a season that's supposed to represent Jesus, we've all but erased him from Christmas and the reason we celebrate. Instead, what Christmas is all about is, is it becomes all about you and I trying to fill this eternal and infinite longing in the depths of our souls with, with stuff that, that really we cross our fingers and we hope that whatever these things are that we ask for that's on our list, right, that, that are our goals, the things that we're looking for, we hope that those things w- will do the trick, that it'll satisfy this eternal and infinite longing at the depths of our souls, right, and, and what we find is this, that last year's model, whether it was a phone whether it's was a watch, a video game console, whether it was a car, whether it was a relationship. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that was last year's relationship. That was last year's model, boyfriend, girlfriend, right? That was last year's relationship. That's, that thing's old. Whether it's those things, they, they, what we find is we get to this point in the year and we go, they, yeah, last year's effort, last year's model, whatever it was, didn't quite do the trick. But have you seen this year's? Have you seen what it can do? Have you seen what they can do? It's all I need, right? It's all I want. They are all I'm looking for. I just need a better version of what I had before. And a few months from now, here's what we're going to find. We're going to be right back where we started. Because that version, the new better version of whatever it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a house, whether it's a car, whatever whether it's the school you go to, whatever it is, that, that new version of whatever it is, didn't do the trick, and so we get stuck in the same pattern and cycle of trying to to fill this eternal and infinite longing with temporary things and finite relationships that won't ever live up to the promise that Jesus makes. Like, we try to fill our lives with these things, and we hope that they can do what Jesus can do, and it all comes back to our understanding of life, and how our understanding of life is so drastically different when it comes to what Jesus offers. We're looking for stuff to make a life. Jesus offers the life. And that's a subtle but extremely profound difference. I mean, we even say things like, yeah, I'm just trying to make the best kind of life for myself I can. Or, I'm, you know, I'm out here trying to, try, trying, to, trying to make a life for me and my family. When Jesus offers the life, that ultimately at the end of the day, it's everything we're looking for. It's everything we're looking for. It satisfies every part of that eternal longing and infinite ache that's, that's at the center of our souls. So let's keep moving, right? Last week I said this, like I'm hoping that all this is going to come together, right? And, and the same thing this week. I'm hoping that all this is going to come together here in a minute. And you all go, oh, yeah, okay, we get it, right? So, so the first meaning of Zoe life was all about this kind of unique otherness that Jesus' life was made up of, right? That it wasn't just a life, it was the life. Like his life, Jesus' life is made up of the essence and ethics, right? The substance and character that all of us are looking for. But again, Zoe life, like our understanding of life, has a double meaning. Here's the second meaning. The second meaning is this. It's the real, blessed, genuine kind of life that's devoted to Jesus and lasts forever. But that's not me just making that up, right? I hope you understand this. Like This is you know, us diving into right, some, some of the original Greek language, going into and, and learning this, this translation and what it would have meant and how people back in Jesus' day would have heard this. And that's what it would have meant, the real Blessed and genuine kind of life that's devoted to Jesus and ultimately lasts forever. So, again, on one hand, Zoe life describes the kind of unlike any otherness that marked the being and doing of Jesus' life. But on the other hand, it also points to the kind of life that Jesus makes possible for us. Which historians and and scholars translate to, to mean this. Real, blessed, genuine, devoted And eternal. That's the way you describe that kind of life. It's not just that Jesus himself is unlike anything else. The life that he offers us is unlike anything else. So we go back to John chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Here's how we can now read this, right? As as people back in Jesus' day would have read it, it would have sounded like this. In Jesus was the Zoe life, unlike any other. Jesus, his being, was made up of the unique essence of God's radiant glory, And Jesus' doing was lived out in the unique ethics of God's character. And because of that, the real, blessed, genuine, devoted, and eternal life, the Zoe life that humanity longs for is now available to everyone who puts their trust in, their faith in Jesus and gives their lives, their faithfulness to Jesus. In Jesus was the light. And the word light means truth. It's what we're looking for. It's what's real and what's true. And Jesus was the light, the truth of mankind. There isn't anyone like the real Jesus, and there's no other life like the truest one that he offers. And this is where we find the friction and tension, right, between our superstore Jesus that we try to make and craft for ourselves and the real Jesus. See, when it comes to who we are, Right, Our substance and our being, how we live, our character and our doing, in, in the superstore of our lives, Jesus becomes just another option among the overwhelming choices on a shelf. See, Jesus is a, not the, way to live. What Jesus provides is a, not necessarily the, path to follow. What Jesus offers is a, but not necessarily the, life. So last week was all about backup plan Jesus. What we end up with this week is ingredient Jesus, which means this. He's just one ingredient. He's just one part. He's one element in a long list of ingredients that, that we seek out to make up the substance of who we are and determine our character, which is how we live our lives. See, ingredient Jesus, ultimately what happens is he gets kind of mashed up and blended into our own recipe. The recipe that we're making for trying to create for our own life, it's, it's my life, right? It's the way that I'm putting it together. And my life, the way I want to put my life together, really only calls for a dash of Jesus. I just need a pinch, right, of the life that, that he offers and, and the truth of how he says to live. Like, I really just need like a drop or two of what Jesus says when it comes to handling my finances. Like, I don't want too much though, because I don't want that drop or two of Jesus to, like, overpower how I want to spend my own money. Like, Jesus, like, you, like, I just don't want too much of you in that category of my life. I just need, I just need a little bit, like a teaspoon of what Jesus says about mercy and grace and forgiveness, but I don't need too much, because, like, I don't want it, I don't want that to spill over into, like, how I treat the people that don't like me, Or I don't want that mercy, grace, and forgiveness to spill over into the way that that I treat the people that I don't like. I don't want mercy and grace to spill over into the the fact that I've got people who have hurt me in life and and I don't want to forgive them. So I don't want too much Jesus. Or maybe for some of us it's like this. I'm not going to add any Jesus to my sexuality because I don't want him messing that up. I'll just leave him out of that altogether. I'll handle that myself. And then what happens is we start to mix it all up and we cross our fingers and we hope that it turns out like we planned. So let me just say this. I'm just gonna ask a really loaded question. How's that working out for you? How is just, you know, a drop or two of Jesus, a a dash, a pinch, a teaspoon, not too much, mixing that all in your life, hoping it all works out. How's that really working out for you? If your life looks like mine, it usually doesn't turn out like we planned. And so we go back to the drawing board and we start shifting some of the ingredients around. It's like, well, maybe, maybe what I need is to kind of toss in a little more work and a little less rest. Maybe what I need is, is a little more time at the office and a little less time with my family. Maybe, maybe I need a little bit more of going down the black hole of social media and less interaction with my spouse. Maybe that'll fix it. Well, how about Jesus? Eh, yeah, I'm not sure what that's actually going to do for me. I don't know how adding more of Jesus in my life is going to fix the stuff that I've got going on. I don't know how me adding a little bit more of Jesus in my life is going to make things that work better. I don't know how me adding a little more Jesus in my life is going to fix my marriage. I don't know how that's going to work. And so around and around and around and around we go. And ultimately what happens is we live out Einstein's definition of insanity, which is doing the same things over and over again while expecting a different result. Well, it's going to work out different this time. This time, it's going to be different. Or when everything falls apart, we go, next time, I'll know better. Next time, I won't do this. Next time, I won't hang out with people like that. Next time, I, I, I won't do this job. I'll do that job. Next, next time, it'll be different. And we just start adding in different ingredients, and we mix it up. And we hope it turns out. But when it comes to Jesus, it's like, ah, I'm not really sure what that can do. I think what I need is more of this or that, but Jesus, I'm good. Here's the truth, right? Jesus says this in John 14. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, he says, comes to the Father except through me. And I know some of the times we we read through Scripture and we go, well, what does that really say? What does that really mean? These are one of those verses that a lot of times what Jesus says, it's exactly how it reads. Like there's no... There's no alternate translation to this. There's no, well, what he was really trying to get at is like, you know, I, the way, but it's really more like kind of a way. Like we, that's what some of us, we want to believe that. It's like, well, he, the truth, I guess. Maybe to, maybe to him, maybe to himself, but my truth looks different. The life, maybe, but my life looks different. What Jesus meant by this is is exactly how it reads. There's no hidden message. There's no other way of reading it. It reads just like he spoke it, which means this. What Jesus is saying is there's no other way but Jesus' way. There's no other truth than Jesus' truth, and there's no other life than the life that Jesus makes possible. Anything else, you're coming up short. Anything else is not gonna fill that that void, that eternal and infinite longing and ache. See, if, if your life and my life looks like, well, I've got ingredient Jesus and my job. Or I've got ingredient Jesus, you know, and my influence, my status, Can I say this, if it's it's ingredient Jesus and your job, if it's ingredient Jesus and your status, influence, power, your title, whatever it may be, if it's ingredient Jesus and the place where you live, the people that you hang out with, the clubs you belong to, all those kinds of things, if it's ingredient Jesus and, fill in that blank, here's the truth, it's not Jesus at all. If our way is ingredient Jesus and anything else, it's not Jesus. One of my good friends that I worked with a long time ago, her name is Shelby Shutt, she said this one time, and I remember it blew my mind. She said this Jesus plus something equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's a simple equation. The Zoe life, right, that we just read about, the life that is made up of the substance, right, the being and doing of Jesus, the life that satisfies the eternal longing at the core of who we are, the Zoe life, the real and genuine, blessed and devoted life to Jesus, it's the only life that lasts forever. You're not going to find the solution to the ache in your soul outside of Jesus, You will not find the real and genuine blessing by devoting your life to something or someone other than Jesus. You will not find freedom from sin and death in anything other than Jesus. And you will not experience the promise of eternal life from anyone other than Jesus. That's the truth. I mean, Jesus says in John 10.10, will you circled back to this verse in, in our House on Fire series, you read this quite a bit. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And just so we're clear on what the thief is, the thief is everything that promises you it can do the things that Jesus can do, knowing that it can't. The thief is every person you're looking for and expecting to do only the things that God can do, and they can't. That's the thief. The thief are all of the spiritual forces that that are at work that want to convince you you don't need Jesus. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says this: I came that they us may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came not only to show us how to live the Zoe life, which here at Adventure we call the with God life, but but He came to make it possible. He didn't just come to like show us, like, hey, there's a way to live. It looks like this. Jesus also came to make it possible for you and I to live that life as well. No one else can offer you that but Jesus. And here's the truth. As long as we keep Jesus of being in the place of an ingredient in our lives, or a way, but maybe not the way, or a life, but not the life, as long as we keep Jesus in that place, we will be missing out on on what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. Going all the way back to Reformation history, right? When Jesus, instead of being an ingredient in our life, Jesus is the ingredient in our life. He's it. When Jesus, instead of being a way, a light, a truth, a life, he's the way, the truth, the life. When Jesus is the light to all of mankind instead of trying to mix him into our lives with a handful of other things we let Jesus work his way into every part of who we are and that's a process we talk about that here at adventure right like when you give your life to Jesus like that's when you step into the process of becoming more like Jesus we are all works in process we're not trying to be perfect we're training right to make progress we're letting Jesus take over bits and pieces of our lives a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more each day But when Jesus works his way into all that we are, what we experience is is this full exchange. All that that we are for all that he is. So Jesus is the only person who can change the very substance of who we are. And the substance of who we are, just in case you didn't know, Jack said it here a a minute ago, is broken and sinful. That's what we're made up of. On the inside of who we are is broken and sinful mess. So Jesus changes the very substance of who we are, which is broken and sinful, into the very substance of who he is, which is the absolute fullness of life, zoe. In both our being who we are and our doing how we live, Jesus is the only one who offers us a real and genuine life, the zoe life, here and now that God desires for us. That's how God wants us to live. He has a life that he desires for you, and it is this zoe life, a life of peace, shalom, completeness, even in the midst of chaos. And I love the way that the message kind of paraphrases and translates 2 Corinthians. says this, now we look inside and we see, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, that's Jesus, gets a fresh start. And they're created new. The old life is gone. A new Zoe life emerges. And I love this. Just look at it. Just take a look at your life with Jesus. Just stop for a minute and pause and think about your life with Jesus. And then understand that all of this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with Himself through Jesus, the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sin. How you ask? In Christ. How does that happen? How does the eternal and infinite longing and ache in our souls get satisfied? It is only in Jesus. And then he says this, that God put all of the wrong on him, Jesus. All of our wrong, all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness, God put on Jesus, who never did anything wrong. Why? So that we could be put right with God. This is the great exchange. When Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the light, he takes all of that sin and brokenness and says i'll let me deal with that and what he exchanges what he replaces that with is his righteousness his substance his essence and this is straight from martin luther he says this that is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours but christ's and the righteousness of christ is not christ's but ours He's emptied himself of his righteousness that he may clothe us with it and fill us with it. He's taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them in the same manner as he grieved and suffered in our sins, we rejoice and glory in his righteousness. Church, nothing you can add to your life can do that. Nothing. But the truth is this, while nothing you can add to your life can do that great exchange, you can give your life to the one that can. And that's Jesus. And I love the way John kind of closes out this little section. He says that Jesus is the light in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's actually military language. He's talking about a conflict, a fight. And basically what this word overcome means, it means that he cannot seize it and cannot take a hold of it, that they cannot capture it, that they cannot go in and and take it over. That the light of Jesus goes to war with The darkness that wants to consume us, and the darkness cannot overthrow, overtake, or do away with Jesus' light. Which this is where I want to close today. That's good news. And here's what that means. That means, if you think about the, the darkness that has existed in your past, in your present, and will exist in your future, that when we bring Jesus into our lives, not as an ingredient or, or a way, but as the ingredient and the way, the truth, the light, the life, there is no darkness in you that can defeat Jesus, none. There is no darkness in your past, no shame or regret that Jesus cannot handle. The darkness cannot overthrow Jesus. And so you have a choice today. Are you ready to make an exchange, just like last week? Do you want to exchange the the Jesus that you've made for yourself that fits in with your life, that follows you? Do you want to exchange that for the Jesus that says, listen, I'll give a great exchange. I'll give you my righteousness. You give me your sin. Deal? You have the chance to make an exchange today to, to begin to walk in the truth, the way, the life and the light. For others of us in the room, now we know who Jesus really is. We get a chance to, to step back in, to give the real Jesus a chance. And Jesus would say, I, I know you've been hurt. Me too. mean, Jesus was hurt by religious people. He knows that. He's not going, I don't know what that's like. A chance to step back into the way, the light, the life that Jesus offers. Do you want to do that? So we're going to worship. We're going to sing a song. The song that I love is one of my favorite worship songs that we do. It talks about we build our lives on Jesus's love because it's a firm foundation. That he's worthy of every song that we could ever sing. He's worthy of every praise that we could ever give. And so I just want to challenge you in this time, like, Maybe this is a good time for you and Jesus to just kind of sit and have a face-to-face conversation and go, listen, I, I've just been trying to add you as an ingredient in my life, Jesus. I've been trying to craft this version of you that follows me and I, I don't wanna do that. Jesus says, repent, change your direction and believe, follow me. And maybe it's just a time too for you to confess your hurt. Jesus, I've been hurt, I've been angry. And Jesus was go, I, I get it, I know, me too. Step into that relationship with the light, the life, the way, the truth. But pray for us today. You wanna, you wanna give your life to Jesus. You wanna, instead of adding him to your life, but surrender your whole life to the one who can take it over. I would love to meet you down front. We can talk about that. If today you wanna join our church, I'd love to chat with you about that. If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you just wanna spend time here at the foot of the cross, it's a comfortable place to be. It's not a place you have to sit in fear. It's not a place you have to worry It's a place where you can just come as you are and encounter the real Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And today, Father, we pray, I pray, uh, that um, that your spirit would begin to move in us, that we would recognize the things, the ingredients in our lives that we've tried to either A, replace you with, or or B, add you into. And Lord, that we would push those to the side, that your spirit would help us root those things out to, to renovate our lives so that they look more like you. Jesus, I pray for some of us in the room that have been hurt by church or hurt by by, by people that claim to be followers of you or or maybe we just gave up a long time ago and we showed up today just as, as as a way to be nice or accept an invitation to church, Jesus, that we would be able to walk back into a relationship with you knowing that the real you wants to exchange all of that hurt and all of that shame and all of that brokenness and hand us your righteousness. You are the light. You are the life, you are the way, you are the truth. Jesus, I pray you would satisfy. Would you satisfy the ache, that eternal and infinite ache within us with your peace, with your shalom, the completeness that is beyond our understanding. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name and we worship you now, amen. You stand and sing with us.